We're in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, and on that, uh, on the sheet right there, uh, on the top, we're, we're in chapter 6, verse 15, that was the day the wall got done. It's the uh, 25th day of the last month of the year, so there's five days left before the new year starts. And so that begins in chapter 7, verse 73 of, of Nehemiah. Uh, which is the last verse of chapter 7, which is actually be the, the beginning of chapter 8. Um, and it says that on the first day, uh, everyone was in their cities. In other words, the wall had been done five days before. Five days later would be on the first day of the seventh month of the year, but it's the first, civil mo- first month of the civil year. Uh, which is New Year's Day. Everyone had gone back to their cities or their towns. They'd all be remember how they kind of stayed to build the wall for protection and get the job done. Now they'd all, all gone back. And that is chapter 7. I'm going to read chapter 7. It's, it's the second half. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And that, as we talked about right here, is this Watergate place right here. So they're not in the temple. And what's going to take place in chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, they're getting ready for, on the 10th day, they're getting ready for uh, the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is a day of fasting and mourning, reading the law. But what takes place, as we read through this last week, I'm going to go to... Uh, chapter, chapter 8, remember they've, they've got a, a tower, a stand built. There's 13 people plus Ezra on the top. Uh, and I'm going to read chapter seven, 8, verse 7. The Levites, gives you the name of them, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Now, the, the law was written, you know, in Moses' day, 1400 B.C., and now they've gone into captivity, and it's five, in 586. Now by 444 B.C., they've gone through uh, the wilderness. They've gone through the period of the judges being overtaken by the Philistines, the, the uh, Midianites, and then you're going to have the time of the kings, the Assyrians, the, the Arameans come down, the Assyrians come in, the Babylonians taken captive, and now they're, they're a thousand years later, and they've still got the Bible from, written in Hebrew uh, from a thousand years before. And if you know language, and you do, the language has changed. I've got a page from the Geneva Bible, and I've got a page from the King James Bible, both written in English. But you, it's very hard to read them. The letters are different. Uh, the words are different. Uh, the printing, the font is different. And, and it would be hard for me to stand here. And you've heard me read from the text in the NIV in the English printed in, you know, our time. Uh, just imagine I'm reading something from the 1500s in English. Well, they were having the same trouble. And so the scribes were going around making it clear, which would mean translating it. The people don't speak. I talked last week about how 
you know, I'm, my, my ancestors come from another country, but I don't even remember that country. And so their language was German or, you know, whatever, and I, I don't know that. These people had to have it translated, and then they had to have it explained, exegetically explained, put in context. And so their understanding, that's what's taking place in verse 8. The Levites are going around the crowd explaining it. Verse 9 then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now this is, this could, this is interesting because this is to be a day, the day of atonement, where they're, they're, they're self-reflecting, they're mourning, they're going to be fasting. That was what this day was for, recognizing their sin. Again, it's going to be taken care of by the sacrifices, but they're not on the temple mount. They're down here. And so when the people begin to mourn after they hear the text of Scripture, they begin to mourn. Nehemiah and Ezra the priest, they change and they say, no, to, we're not going to mourn. We've j- I mean, they've just come back from captivity. They've just rebuilt the walls. They've been under oppression. They've had op- 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 yeah, op- opposition. This is now going to be a time of joy. And it's going to be repeated several times this day of this year in 444 BC, we're not going to mourn this day. And this is important. It's setting up what's going to take place in chapter 9. Because it's confusing. People get confused. They want to take these chapters and move them around. They want to say this is out of place or something. But if you go with something like what I'm going to present, uh, it all makes sense. But this is the day of atonement. And they're being told. Verse 9, the Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, even the Levites that were teaching, this, is, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. The people are broken down. It's like, and they say, no, 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 this is not the direction we want to go with this. We've just come back from captivity. We've just finished the wall. We're now following God. Nehemiah said, verse 10, and I think this is a change in direction. Nehemiah is saying, no, that he's making an executive decision here. Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. But that is not the purpose of the Day of Atonement. But Nehemiah says, wait, this year, we're gonna, we've got to celebrate. You guys, this is not a time to, you're already broken down. You've already repented. We need to move on. And verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still. In other words, be still. Stop crying. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had now understood the words that had been made known to them. They're hearing, and not just hearing the word of God, their understanding is placed in context and it makes sense to them. This is the beginning of the synagogue. Again, I said it last week. They're teaching publicly. They're not up here just offering sacrifice. They're teaching and understanding, trying to get to the heart. Now, verse 13. On the second day, what's that mean? That means the next day. And that's on the chart right here. It's the 11th day of uh, Teshri, the, the, the 11th day of the 7th month, or the 11th day of the new year. 
uh, of the month, the heads of the families along with the priests and the Levites gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of law. Now this day, the day before, everyone was there. The women, the children, everyone heard the Levites were moving. Now, the next day, just the men, just the leadership of the families show up and they're going to have a public Bible study. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were... Now again, this is huge right here if you get into liberal scholarship. If you are a liberal scholar, Ezra is making this stuff up as we are reading this. There's no law. None of, there's no history. In fact, if you go into... And there's so many churches that will believe this. Moses was a fabrication. I, I know. I can tell you People in town, big churches that teach that they have come against me because I didn't, that I was saying Moses, I'm telling you, Moses is real. They, they go, no, Daniel wasn't, none of these things were written by Daniel. None of these things were written by Moses. Moses, all this was made up by the scribes, mainly Ezra. In other words, there are groups that will say Ezra is creating the entire Old Testament on the fly right here or they created it while they're in Babylon and came back so when they come back they have they're not coming back to anything does it sound like they came back to nothing I mean first of all how did they get into this we've seen the map here there's this little spot Artaxerxes gives it to them because it's historically theirs the people there are opposing them and are afraid of them because it's historically theirs I mean you go back to the day and look at it there's no one making this stuff up if you follow this, these guys are talking about walls and gates that were there that were burnt down. They're rebuilding it. Say, well, that they just made that up. You can't make up Iliad Motzer's excavation of the great, uh, the, the water gate right here. She excavated and found the 586 remains that Nehemiah and the people are building over the top of. So what a great play. I mean, they, they faked all this archaeology. So, I mean, it, none of it, you, you can't go there. That's called liberal scholarship. And I will fight that every time because, one, it's not true. And two, when you do, you've taken the Bible away. And now all you got is a Christian organization that you need to create a foundation for. And you're just creating a, now, and this is what we believe. And now you are a false teacher. Now you are a heretic. So uh, that's, I, I don't, but you, you can see right here, it's exciting to see them having the law and reading it. So the second day, they come together, they read it. And while they're reading it, the Israelites realize in verse 12, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that's the very next thing there uh, on, on that chart. Beginning on the 15th day of the month and going for seven days, so the 15th through the 22nd of the month, is the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths where they make little shelters. Uh, they don't live in their house. They're all camping out. They're either camping on their roof, which were flat roofs, or they're camping in the city gates. They're camping somewhere. Uh, and it's to remind them of their people being in the wilderness, living in tents for 40 years, but also the ideal of the tent or the tabernacle was that was also that, that God dwelt with them. And so it is a, 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 a feast that's looking back and remembering being in the wilderness, but that God was with them. But it's also a feast looking forward to the day that God 
returns and dwells physically on the earth again. It's a, it's a, a prophetic holiday. It's a seven-day feast. Now, it doesn't mean here that they'd never celebrated it since the days of Joshua. It means they had never spent this much detail focusing on the text and celebrating it at this level. Uh, but they see, they find it as they're reading through the text. Hey, we're supposed to, we're, next week we're supposed to have a holiday. Uh, and so, so they said, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches, built themselves booths on their own roofs, that would be flat roofs, in their courtyards, that would be, they'd have houses built around, like there would be your, your open courtyard, and you'd have rooms here with a flat roof on top, you could sit on the roof. But this would be where the fireplace would be right here. This would be an open, so they'd put camps up here on the roof, they put camps here in the courtyard, wherever. Um, own roofs in, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, up here on the Temple Mount, and, uh, and in the square by the water gate, they're over here in the public, so it must be a big square open area, they're here, and it mentions, unfortunately we've got it on our map, and one by the gate of Ephraim, and there's a courtyard over here by the gate, this is the western gate, this is one of the eastern gates, so there's people camping here, there's people camping here, there's people up on the Temple Mount, there's people, the few homes they've got are camping on the roofs or camping in the courtyards of their homes. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until the day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. Meaning, they had celebrated it, but not like this. And their joy was very great. In other words, the joy that they started here, they read the scriptures, they projected them into the next feast, and for seven days they feasted, lived in these tents, remembered their history, remembered the presence of God was there, and eventually in the future. And that is chapter 8. Now we go to chapter 9. And what happens now in chapter 9 and chapter 10 are these things. If you look in chapter 9, it says it begins... On the 24th day of the same month. Now, that's the same month. We just got them talking about the seven-day feast from the 15th to the 22nd. This is now what day? The 24th day. So this is two days later. Now, this, we don't know what this is. I, I don't know what day, the holiday this is. But I'm going to now tie it back to the 10th. The 10th was the Day of Atonement. It was a day of you know, uh, reflecting. Uh, it was a day of fasting. But Nehemiah and Ezra in 444 B.C. back here says, no, this is a day of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We're done weeping and mourning. We've been weeping and mourning since 586 B.C. Ever since you got back here in 538, you've been weeping and mourning. We've got the walls done. You need to stop weeping and get some joy and realize God has got a plan for you. And we're going to turn this, at least in 444 B.C., into a feast. So they feasted. The next day they got up and read the scriptures. The men got together and they realized we have to have a great feast of tabernacles. They had one that they've never had before off the charts celebrating. And now two days later, this happens. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together 
fasting and wearing sackcloth, having dust on their heads. Those of the Israelites descendant had separated themselves from the foreigners. They get together right here on this 24th day, and now they're going to fast. This is not a, a recorded holiday. This appears to be Nehemiah coming back saying, okay, we need to come back here, and we do need to take care of this right here. And there, it actually sounds, this is where people get, I might be confused, but people say, well, this sounds like this is re- talking about this up here. Right, but they turn that into a feast. So it is, but they're doing it on the 24th day. They're fasting over here. It's, it's out of order. Again, no one knows what to, I mean, some people know what to do, but they're either tearing the page out and moving it over here or saying it should be there. Or this makes sense because they definitely took the Day of Atonement and turned it into a feast, and they took this day, which is off the calendar, and turned it into a, a fast. And so uh, if you look on your notes, turning the pages, pages, go to page 3 of the notes, and there's Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 38. Just, I've got just kind of written down there. The 24th day, uh, two days after the Feast of Booths, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 2, seems like a repeat of the Day of Atonement. They separate from foreigners. In other words, all the, all the foreigners, if they've got business in this, because there were people bringing business into the city, you're, all the foreigners need to leave. This is just for Jews only. Uh, and they confess their sin. And in chapter 9, verse 3, it, it, okay, uh, those of the Israelites descended and separate. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. I'm reading the NIV. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. So that would have been apparently probably meeting again in this, if we're following suit, they're in this courtyard here. They could be on the Temple Mount, but it appears they're, well, no. In fact, I know they're right here. In just a moment, I'm going to show you they're right here. They stood where they were and watched and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Now again, a quarter of the day sounds like six hours if you're thinking about a 24-hour day, which is correct, but we're talking about 12 hours of daylight. So for a quarter of the daylight, which would be three hours because there's 12 hours of darkness, so for three hours, now watch this, for three hours, a quarter of the day, they stood there and were re- and where they were and read from the book of the law, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worship, the, worshiping the Lord their God. And then they spent another quarter of the day or three more hours. They listened to the word of God, were convicted of their sins. They confessed their sins, prayed, and worshiped the Lord for another three hours. So that would be six hours so a six-hour period of Scripture reading, confessing sin, is what they're doing here on this 24th day of this month. They stood where they were, read, okay, and worshiped. Standing on, oh, here it is, standing on the stairs were the Levites. This is the, I referred to this last time when we were talking about this, this pedestal, this, boot, uh, this tower built for Ezra with 13 Levites or someone standing on it. It would appear that the stairs were the Levites. The stairs of the Levites is right here where the Levites stood. Again, we're not up here on the Temple Mount. It appears we're down here in the public setting. Again, in a, in a, a, a big pre-synagogue or the early synagogue, the proto-synagogue time. Standing on the stairs were Levites, and it gives you the names, 
who called with a loud voices to the Lord their God. So they're up there worshiping and praying. And the Levites, gives you another name, uh, said, standing up and praising the Lord your God, or stand, said, stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And now here begins, beginning in this verse right now, um, verse 6, is going to begin, uh, we'll pick this up next week, possibly, I just want to refer to it, is a crazy, because what they're going to do is they're going from verse 6, Going to verse 31, they're going to recount Israel's history. If, if you read this, or if I would read this from verse 6 up to verse 31, it's going to, well, right here. Blessed be your glorious name. This is creation. And may it be exalted above all, blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens. And, and when it says heaven here, it's not talking about that place where God is. It talks about the sky, the atmosphere, the universe, and all the starry hosts and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in this. It's like repeating Genesis 1. You give life to everything, and the multitude of the heavens worship you. Verse 7, they go from creation right up to the story of Abraham, because that's where the story of Israel begins. You are the Lord God, or Yahweh Elohim, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And you've got basically the entire history of the Jews going up to verse 31, and I'll read verse 31. Uh, Yet they paid no attention. And throughout those verses, what is being said, God is faithful, God is forgiving, God is patient, because we Jews throughout our history, starting with Abraham and his family, going all the way through slavery, through the Exodus generation, to the period of the judges, all this is mentioned, to the kings, through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they don't mention them by name, we rebelled, we were warned, God forgave us, brought us back, disciplined us, we rebelled, we wouldn't listen, and finally, we were taken into captivity. And then at verse 32, again, that, that's all up, see how much I skipped, you could read that, but it's just recounting, amazingly, recounting the Old Testament, which Ezra, or the scribes, have just made up, if you go through the liberal theology. But there it is in 444 B.C., unless you're going to make that up too, all recounted, matching uh, the easiest thing to do is just believe that it happened and was recorded as it says it was. Nonetheless, uh, verse 31, But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them in Babylon or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. That's where they're at today, 444 B.C., verse 32, Now, meaning now in contemporary times, right now, Therefore, O God, the great, mighty, and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, that's the word hasid, covenant love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardships that has come upon us, upon our kings, our leaders, upon our priests, and prophets upon our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. That'd be the Assyrian invasion, Sennacherib leading up to the Babylonian invasion, leading up to captivity, now the Persians. In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You, you, it has been fair. We deserve this. You, did, you have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers did not follow your laws. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn away from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves. Now today, under the purge, this is, this is their current condition in 444 B.C., 
But see, we are slaves today. See, but they're, they're being taxed, they're working, and they're sending their money to the Persians. And the, the Persians did not reinvest in the community. That's why when Alexander the Great took over Persia, took, went through uh, 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 Susa, Persepolis, just tons of gold. I mean, just, they just kept hoarding it. They'd tax the people and bring, the, bring it to the, 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 imp, the, the capitals of the Persian Empire. And so when it says we are slaves today, they're not citizens. They're, they're in a sense, uh, like crops. They're living in the land, making pro, pro product that is then being taken. It's about where you're heading in your culture. You're going to be nothing more than crops being harvested by the elite. We are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and have the good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over it. Because of our sins, it's going to Artaxerxes. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Now, beginning in verse 38, and I'm wrapping this up here tonight. Yep. Uh, in view of this, we are making a binding covenant, or the binding, or making, making is the word, it means cutting. They're cutting a covenant. It would probably involve a sacrifice. They're going to now make, it's, it's not the Old Testament covenant, but in a sense, they're renewing it. They're making some policy here for this city. In view of all this, we are making a, or cutting, making a binding covenant, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals on it. Those who sealed it were, and now you've got chapter 10 of everybody who's going to seal this document. Who's going to put their, their signature on it or press their, their seal, their ring in it. Uh, going all the way down until you get to later in chapter 10. And what you have at the bottom of page 3, chapter 10, verse 30 through 39 are four conditions of the covenant that they put in. We'll come back next week and clean this up. But the four parts of the covenant are, chapter 10, verse 30, mixed marriages. We're signing this covenant. Everybody agree? This is something, in a, in a sense, in addition or in fulfillment of the law they've already had read to them. We need to fix these four things in our community. One, mixed marriages. They will not give our daughters in marriage to the nations, nor take their daughters in marriage. We're not going to keep intermarrying because always you're just going to marry our culture away. And we are the promise. The whole world wants Israel to retain its identity. Uh, business on the Sabbath. Gentiles will not be allowed to bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, and we will not buy on the Sabbath. Now, it appears that the Jews would shut down their businesses, apparently, but the nations, the Gentiles, is like, we don't care. They're coming in, especially before the gates were made, and setting up shop, and, the, and they were selling on the Sabbath. And the Jews like, well, it's for sale. I'll just buy it. And they're doing business on the Sabbath. They say no more. Uh, three, the sabbatical year. Every seven years, we're going to let the land rest. That's where they don't plant crops. They don't harvest. They just let the land rest. And listen, you know, it's like the Jubilee, they cancel all debt which would change your way of thinking if every seven years, it's like we just redistribute the monopoly money. It's like every, they say, you just reset the board, everybody's debt-free, they go back and set it over, and they're going to they're gonna follow the sabbatical year. And then uh, D, uh, verses, chapter 10, verse 32 to 39, uh, the stipulations for the tabernacle. Who's going to be providing for it? They're, the priests are going to serve. In other words, we're going to take this serious. We're going to get this up and running. And so that's what's taking place in those verses. Uh, we'll review that next week. Uh, 
chapter 11, and we'll probably get into that some next week after we review this, uh, they're going to realize we don't have enough people in town. Nobody wants to live in Jerusalem. They've got property outside around Jerusalem, around the land of Judea. They're going to say, hey, we've got to get some people here. Who wants to come? Nobody? Okay. Everybody put your name in the hat. Every tenth person, you're moving to Jerusalem. Ready? First one? You're moving to town. And, then they, and so it's like, what? And they had, to, they had to populate Jerusalem. Now, again, today, it'd be cool to get your name drawn and have to go to Jerusalem. But nobody, it's, it's, there's nothing there. I'll pray, and we're done. I appreciate you listening. Father, we thank you for the chance to study your word. We thank you for your spirit that lives within us. We ask that we would take these things serious and allow your spirit to lead us in your perfect will that you've called us to lead. Again, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray for our nation. We pray for our churches. We do ask that we might see revival in our land, revival in our land instead of destruction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.